trailblazers in research, innovators in technology, and those who simply have a good story. All make up the fabric that is George Mason University. We're taking on the grand challenges that face our students, graduates, and higher education is our mission and our passion. Hosted by Mason President Gregory Washington, this is the Access to Excellence podcast. So what exactly is the metaverse? Some say it's the future of the internet, a broad shift in how we interact with technology, including new and more ways to collaborate in virtual worlds. Others say it creates even more infringements on privacy and chances for identity theft. My guest, I hope you will help us understand what the metaverse is or will be and how the volatile world of cryptocurrency fits in with all of this. So James Casey is an associate professor in George Mason University's computer game design program, and he's the associate director of the Virginia Serious Games Institute. He has more than 12 years of experience developing video games and has extensive knowledge of the production and live management of games and has worked on titles from Mythic Entertainment, Electronic Arts, and EA Mobile. Fotini Baldmitzi is an assistant professor in Mason's computer science department. She received a career award, which is one of the highest awards that could be given to a young faculty member from the National Science Foundation in 2022. And her research is centered around cryptographic protocols to help prevent infringements on privacy and identity theft. To both of you, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So let's start talking very, very high level here, and then we'll work our way down into the weeds, into specifics. Jim, let's start with a basic definition. What is the metaverse? Uh, Of course, you start with the hard question, right? So the metaverse is interesting because depending on who you ask, the definition changes. So some people, it's just a virtual world where you inhabit an avatar and you do stuff that mimics real life to some degree, you know, games and other things out there already do that. But to a lot of folks, it's a little more broad. It's like you have a computer and then you have the internet connected to everybody's computer, right? The metaverse is this idea that it's a virtual world where people have avatars and it becomes their virtual life and it takes over and you can work, you can play, you can buy, and it's all interconnected and persistent and all these cool buzzwords. So depending on who you ask, it's somewhere within that kind of spectrum of what we currently have to what we want to have. And so the metaverse is this broad, great idea that we're still developing. Is it the same thing or different from Web 3.0? Another great question. Basically, we're in Web 2.0. I could go into the history of Web 1 versus 2 and 3, but Web 3 is just really the iteration of the internet that we will see in the future. To some, this includes blockchain and cryptocurrencies and some of the other stuff we'll talk about today. Some people include AI and machine learning as a big part of that. Uh, And to some people as well, the idea of virtual reality, of a metaverse, is kind of the evolution of the internet. Whether that becomes specifically Web 3.0 or somewhere in the future still is to be seen, but Web 3.0 definitely includes some of the same things that people are looking from in the metaverse. 
So Fontaine, you focus in cryptography, cryptography yeah. and its connection to privacy. Correct. And these two worlds are colliding at an enormous rate. Let me highlight what has happened, and then let's talk about it a little bit. Uh-huh. I'm going to give you a little story, and then I want you all to think about how these worlds connect in a very interesting way. So my son is a junior at Ohio State, just completed his junior year, and he came home and decided, okay, let's spend some daddy-son time. So I'm going to take him, and we're going to go hang out and go to a restaurant and just talk. And so on the way there, he's on his phone the whole time. But I see him, and he's using some app. And then he'll press an icon and then he'll listen to it and then he'll just crack up laughing and then he will, you know. And so I say, hey, you know, you're not talking that much. Tell me what's going on. So he says, Dad, it's a new app where you can send anyone an actual voicemail from a famous person. And I said, what do you mean? So he lets me listen to him. Somebody had sent him a message from Drake and it was Drake's voice. But Drake wouldn't be talking to my son like this. Right, 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 right. Good old deep fake technology. Oh, my goodness. It was phenomenal. Yeah. And he kept letting me hear all these voices. And I'm sitting here listening. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I said, so you can send me a message from anybody. He said, from anybody. I said, send me one from Kim Kardashian. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Anyway, we were just joking, right? But you can send a message, right? You can send it from anybody. I say, really? And then I start thinking, well, if you're on a metaverse, Mm -hmm. and now any public figure's voice that's online that can be synthesized and then recreated by a computer and then sent out anywhere, in a virtual world, you don't know who you're talking to. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely Because there's somebody behind it typing the words, and what's being mouthed is the voice of a famous person. Yep. You could actually think you're in a virtual house with Drake. Oh, sure. And it can be Jake from State Farm, you right? Could, Absolutely. You could, yeah. <laughs> you could even have avatars that look exactly like the celebrity, almost realistic. You could even have the stuff you type into the computer be adjusted so that it actually sounds more like the person that would be speaking, so it would still... No, no, that's what I'm talking about. That's what this app does. Not even just changing the words to sound like it, but, I mean, you could actually change the word... Like, you could put in what you wanted to say, like the gist of it. Right. And then it could actually modify the words to be more in the lingo or more in the the way that somebody might talk. Oh, the way the person talks. So it's not just, oh, hey, I'm a stuffy guy and I'm trying to be Drake. No, it's actually, this is what I want him to say, and then Drake says it using his own kind of cadence, his own lingo, throwing in some stuff that Drake might say, and you could do a whole lot with it to really make it convincing. I mean, now we're veering into the AI, the machine learning well, aspect of these well, things. Well, but I think that's where this thing is going. So what are the privacy concerns with this, Fontaine? <laughs> well, um, the sure. good news are that cryptography can actually help in situations like this, because no matter what the AI can do, it can only simulate public information. So the way we speak or the way we write is something that is public. But the way that we can actually secure our communications or authenticate ourselves in a secure way relies on secrets that we shouldn't be making available. 
this essentially says that in order to authenticate in the future is not enough to just call someone and then claim that it's us and people believe us based on our voice on our tone but we might actually have to provide more than that that actually relies on cryptographic secrets oh man this is getting hot i love it it's like you got to watermark your voice right you have to watermark you have to watermark your voice this is exactly the point in fact some internet creators have been creating fake Drake and you know, Kanye songs. <laughs> oh, no, this is actually, if you go online yeah, right yeah. now, Spotify yep. has taken down yep. thousands, yes. not a few yes. songs, Absolutely. Yes. thousands of songs yep. that were developed by bots, <laughs> yeah. but made to sound like real artists exactly. who we all know and love. Thousands yep. of songs have been mm-hmm. removed. I couldn't believe it. Some artists I've seen, like, I think it was Grimes, the previous other half of Elon Musk, who was like, hey, if you make something using my voice, I just want 50%. Right. And other ones are like, yeah, no, don't use my stuff, right? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it opens up a whole new level of... But are you even using... So if me and you are talking, Mm -hmm. and I impersonate (laughs) Drake's voice, and I'm talking to you in that context, well, there is no... Mm-hmm. issue there with copyright or anything and even if I sing like I you know I sound like him or anything like that as long as I'm not using his music or anything like that it's just me you know, I, I listen to artists that sound like other artists all yeah. the time you listen to oh he sounds like I, I would argue such yes such. and no because it depends on what you say as Drake. So we should have done this. That would have been actually really cool if you had come on and used a, a voice changer, right? I should have but, done that. I should but, have done that. That would have been really cool to actually so have Drake you, interviewing you. If you, <laughs> did not, if you did not say you were using Drake's voice and you weren't saying, oh, this is you know, Dr. Washington, but I'm using this voice. If they just thought for some reason and we didn't correct them that I was talking to Drake and then you as Drake were to say something very controversial that would get the real Drake in trouble, then we fall into some issues because then you're basically acting as Drake and defaming him or libel or whatever the correct... I get it, but this is the point. The messages that my son let me listen to <laughs> oh, I'm sure they were, were of stars cussing people out. I mean, <laughs> basically, in their own voice, you'd be like, whoa. I'm sure you, Drake you know. curses. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Have you heard his songs? Come on. Yeah, but, you know. Not in the way. But what, that, but what about Joe Biden? Okay, so yes. you get Joe Biden calling you, and he's just ripping you a new one. Oh. And it's because they have synthesized his voice and put it on a there are some, You know there what some, I'm saying? There's some actually great videos where they have Biden, Trump, and I think Clinton all like playing Call of Duty on the same team. <laughs> And like and ripping each other, yeah, oh and man. it is the funniest thing. And it's just it's just taking sound bites and stringing them together, and not even not even in the sophisticated way, right? But and it just it sounds so funny. But you know it's a joke, and you know it's parody right. in that case. That's but right. will you always be able to tell that? And that is the I yep. think that's to me, that's the quintessential privacy challenge mm-hmm. because and you brought it up, Fontany, if you don't have a way of authenticating mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who a person is, now all of the tools that we right. have traditionally used on listening to a person's voice or to their lilt and their tone and, and how they speak, all of that can be digitized, all of that can be replicated. So, you know, I can receive a phone call from my son right now where he's asking me to send him 
yeah. 150 bucks or 200 right. bucks so I can do ABC or I just got in an accident. I need blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Yeah. And it cannot be him. And Absolutely. so and then when you get in these virtual worlds where there are two or three layers behind the disguise. So you think you're interacting with a person and you're interacting with somebody else or you're actually interacting with a bot. Yep. Well, I had a very normal conversation with ChatGBT the other day, <laughs> and it seemed normal to me. You know, Bill Gates says the metaverse is already here, right? But then the guy whose company took the name Meta, mm-hmm. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, turns around now and says, oh, no, it's still five to ten years away. So, <laughs> I, so who's right? Well, in Business Insider, if you read them like the last week, they said the metaverse is dead. So it depends on who you <laughs> ask, right? If we go with this grandiose vision of everything connected, like the movies, Ready Player One or the Snow Crash book or these fantasy you know, ideas of essentially taking the internet but making it into a a virtual world where everything's connected and blah 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 and we can go into specifics and I know later in the, the conversation that is still years away and there's a lot of technical reasons why do we have the lower end versions of metaverses sure we've got people claiming they have metaverses right now Fortnite's probably the closest because they have so many different types of IP and content Roblox has tons of people coming into their world and sharing space. So there's these ideas, these seeds of a metaverse. I made massively multiplayer online games for a living before I came here. That essentially was its own kind of metaverse because it was virtual worlds where people played and bought and worked and talked. Mm -hmm. It was just in its own world versus connected to every world. And I think that grandiose vision is what's still years away. Okay. Right. And I, I don't think we're going to have like a clear distinction between Web 2 and Web 3. I think we're going to transition to it slowly to the <laughs> point that we'll not be able to tell when we're actually mm-hmm. there, when we're actually in Metaverse. Yeah. Someday they'll just say, like, hey, we're on Web 3. Web 4, though. Right. Web 4, that's right. going to be great. Mm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> so this whole idea of cryptocurrency, mm-hmm. if you're in a digital world, mm-hmm. it seems to me that you're going to want to use digital currency, right? You can't use paper currency, obviously, in that world because the definition of it, it's digital. The currency of choice would have to be cryptocurrency. So so talk to us a little bit about that. And, uh, yeah, um, yeah. And, and it's going, it's ebbing and flowing, right? <laughs> Every other week you'll hear that crypto is gone. It's dead. <laughs> and then the next week you'll hear, no, it's not. Yeah. And you see the price of Bitcoin just oscillate. I've seen it go down to 16,000 and go back up to 34,000. And, and now it's somewhere right, in the middle. It's been a roller coaster, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let me try to put some definitions first into place. Okay. I'm, I'm a computer scientist. I work in theory. I want to define things first. Digital payments exist forever. And they're not necessarily related to cryptocurrencies. Okay, So we could as well go into metaverse in whatever way James defined it and just use digital payments using the fiat currencies that we all were used and love or not. Cryptocurrencies bring a different perspective into that. So it's not just the fact that they allow us to do digital payments. The main innovation of digital currencies or cryptocurrencies is that they try to take the intermediary out of the picture. They try to take the idea that there is a trusted financial institution or a government that handles the way that the currency is operating 
and they are democratizing that, quotes, quotes, <laughs> in a way that now is decided by a set of parties. And who are these parties? Well, everyone. So you can participate in the governance, if you like, of these cryptocurrencies and decide how the system is going to work, participate in the system, maintain the system, and be rewarded for it if you do so. So the main idea, again, of cryptocurrencies is not just that they allow digital payments. They do. Absolutely, they do. And they have certain perks as opposed to doing digital payments through our financial institutions. I can send coins, money to Australia without paying any fees for mm-hmm. intermediaries and uh, having a constant payment, literally, in a matter of seconds. Although if I try to do that through my traditional bank, it will take days <laughs> to clear. That's the big perk of it. But the main revolution is the fact that they're taking the idea of a central trusted party mm-hmm. out of the picture. Ah, very good. Very and, good. And think about it this way. Like, we have this idea of the metaverse, but if you really wanted to boil it down, the internet is kind of like a metaverse. You just don't have the 3D world on top of it, right? We can play, we can talk, we can pretend to be Drake, we can buy stuff on the internet, and we did not create a single currency for the internet, right? Just like we have multiple currencies around the world, and you know, some people say, oh, dollar is king, or some people are like, no, we use ours. But there's still this idea that regardless of what you're using, you can convert it or you can get it into goods, whether they're virtual or real. And so in that virtual metaverse, yeah, the dollar can still be what you pay with, or you can pay with francs, or you can pay with pounds. You can pay with a credit card, because that's fake money anyways, right? (laughs) Or that money then translates into metaverse bucks, or whatever we want to call it, right? Metabucks. Metabucks, right. And it has its own exchange rate, and you know, a lot of games or worlds out there now do that for several reasons. And one of them being once you take a currency and you abstract it into another layer, you are less likely to be as stringent on your spending. So if I spend a hundred bucks on a thousand metabucks, that dollar value, that cost becomes obscured and you're more likely to spend. So whether the metaverse ends up with one kind of virtual currency really is going to depend on who owns and who runs the metaverse. And that's why things like blockchain and cryptocurrency are being pushed by some people is because they want to make sure it's outside of Facebook owning it. Mm. or a government owning it, right? Um, right. I mean, if you think about online game platforms right now, yeah. they do have these currencies, but yep. they are controlled by the company that runs the game. So if that company decides to shut down the game today, mm-hmm. nobody's going to give these funds in some form back to the users. But if instead they were using a currency that was decentralized using a blockchain system, nobody can really shut it down because it doesn't really belong to someone specific. That's right. That's right. And it makes it harder, although <laughs> we've seen examples of this the other way, but it makes <laughs> it harder for individuals to steal your coins as well, supposedly, mm. yes? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. That's a hard that's problem, theft, yeah. Because theft has, theft has actually happened, but it's still much easier to take your physical money. Right, yeah. Well, well, although it turns out that, uh, well, people should not have physical money. I don't think, well, not should not. <laughs> people should have deposited their physical money to some financial <laughs> institution, right? And the good news are that 
if you lose, let's say, your password to your online bank account, there are ways to recover it. Mm -hmm. Why? Because there is this central institution that has ways to physically authenticate. You might ask you to literally walk into an office and sew a passport and have ways to recover your password. If you lose your password or your (laughs) secret key for funds, for coins that you have on a blockchain system, then this becomes so much harder to recover, almost impossible. Look, I forget my passwords (laughs) all the time because they keep making us change it. So (laughs) how much money do you think is sitting in cryptocurrencies now that people can't recover because they cannot figure out their their key? A lot. Uh, I'd be willing to bet you it's billions of dollars. Yeah, Yeah. no, there's people back in the Bitcoin days before it became big that had a bunch sitting on a hard drive somewhere and that hard drive is lost or dead or they don't know the password to get into the computer and that was tiny amounts of money for Bitcoin back there and now it's 30,000 a Bitcoin and right. that's millions of dollars in just one space so yeah there's yeah. there's lots of stuff there I mean I mean look at what's happening with banks recently right the nice thing about a lot of that is the government is going in and bailing them out or there's the FDIC which covers deposits up to a certain point you know that if you put your money there you have some degree of security the thing with the cryptocurrency is, although it is de-democratized, <laughs> however you want to put it right. Democratized. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, yes, you have complete control over it, but you also, like you said, if something goes wrong or you lose it or something goes on, like there is no backup to that. The hope for that is to change. It, and yeah. I think that people who are serious in the space, they actually want to have regulation yes. over cryptocurrencies. Agreed. And I'm very optimistic on that. I think that it, it is going to, I mean, it is going to happen one way or another because people are using these systems. And well, I think the same thing needs to happen for the metaverse for it to take on too. Absolutely. We can get to that in a minute. So that kind of brings me back to that. The reality is, you know, you had movies like Blade Runner mm-hmm. and even the Avatar yep. ones that, that show these futuristic worlds yep. where people and their avatars interact mm-hmm. in the world. And in Ready Player One, the currency was digital currency. And if you lose it in the, yep. <laughs> in the virtual yep. world, you lost it in the real world. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. So... How accurate are the predictors? They talk about this dystopian world where you know you really can't go outside, you really can't live in the environment because we've corrupted it so. And so people kind of engage one another in a virtual framework. Now, let me preface this by saying, you know, we were we were kind of there for a while mm-hmm. with the pandemic, yeah, right? Yeah, COVID was a nice uh, precursor, right? So talk a little bit about that. How accurate are those in terms of the future? How accurate is the dystopia of the science fiction? Oh, well, I think that there are trends that could point to us going down some of those routes, absolutely. I think, and you see more and more adoption of technology and virtual aspects just like with your son right (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, always on the phone and I think that we could become addicted to certain things just like we could anything else the allure of the virtual world is that it is better than your station in life you've got a better house or you've got better clothes or you have better friends or you can't get out like in the COVID and get to your friends so this is your way to communicate so it becomes a surrogate for other things that you do not feel are positive in your life this positivity replaces that could that become something that is troublesome absolutely hopefully 
as a society we do better in general, as well as looking at how do we look at these kind of technologies to prevent that. Not being draconian like China, where you can only play games three hours a week, certain hours, specific hours on like a Friday night. But how do we ensure that somebody does not become like in Ready Player One, living in shipping canisters, just being on the internet all day long? Mm -hmm. And while there's advantages to maybe attending school in virtual space, at the same time, you got to get out and, as they say on the internet, touch grass, (laughs) be real. And so if I was a pessimist, I'd say, yes, we could definitely see that becoming more of a reality. But I think, you know, the optimist in, in me is that we will adopt the technologies uh, and we're seeing, you know, more and more social change and more social, whatever the right words are, justice or knowledge or shared bits. I think more people will be able to see that going into it, hopefully, than we give them credit for. <laughs> Yeah, I I think also our our role as scientists is to actually develop mechanisms that Mm -hmm. make these tools and these technologies to work in the in the favor of the society, and this is this is a responsibility for us. And just for example, on on the blockchain space, right? So all these payments are now becoming transparent, right? So Mm -hmm. think for a second that. Right now, when you're making transactions through your credit card, it's only your own financial institution that knows exactly how you're spending, right? Mm -hmm. But now if all these transactions happen in the blockchain space, then they're essentially, in one way or another, becoming fully public, right? So everybody now knows how you're spending. But then, also as scientists, we know, and as cryptographers, we know that there are tools that can actually work towards adding privacy in these transactions in a way that not even your bank knows more than what they should know. (laughs) I think this is a great responsibility in our hands, and we should be trying to make these tools to work for the benefit of the society. Interesting. Well, let me give you a a little spin on this Mm -hmm. and get your reaction to it. A group of researchers Mm. at Stanford University and Google Mm -hmm. have created a miniature virtual world Mm -hmm. where 25 characters controlled by ChatGPT and custom code live out their lives independently with what ARS Technica has described as a high degree of realistic behavior. In addition, they created an architecture that simulates minds with memories and experiences. Then they let the agents loose to interact. (laughs) And now humans can interact with them too. Smallville, I think they called it. How is that not like (laughs) the kinds of things that we saw and, you know, an early version of, of a Ready Player One, right? Or an environment where you are interacting like Matrix with bots, right? I, I, the only the, the good thing is if they kill you in a virtual world, you don't die yeah. in the real world, right? <laughs> At least it, not yet. I think right? it would be closer probably to kind of like the Westworld model, right? Like you're, Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you're developing this, like in this case, the AI to mimic real world interactions. And so I'm familiar with the Stanford a little research that they did on Smallville, and I think it's great. Now, to be fair, when I grew up, there was a program called Little Computer People where we got to watch people live in their house and go about their day, and it was very similar, but it was much more strict and programmed. In this case, the AI is learning based on the data that it was trained on, the goals it was fed, and all these different things. And what's nice about it 
is it gives us insight into how it takes this information and creates those relationships, these uh, conversations, and creates memories. And honestly, one of the big things for you know the general intelligence is this idea of how do we mimic how people's brains work, and part of that is the memory construct. I That's mean, right, and that was great that they gave them those. Oh, yeah. In fact, um, one of our companies out at the Virginia Series Game Institute was founded by a guy who worked on Ultima Online, a, a massively multiplayer online game, and he's working in this field, and he took the same thing that Stanford did, but he actually had the AI create the world. Instead of just, hey, here's your town, and here's, we've already created all this, the art for the world, and the way the world worked, and the, the streams, and the valleys, and the roads, and the, and the resources of the world was all created by the AI as well. And then it populated it with NPCs that took a look at what was around, and they built a campfire. And then once they had that, and they met that need, they'd go and grab resources and build a, a cottage. And they had apple trees, so they made a fruit stand. And they build this whole backstory for themselves using AI. And then that can be put into a game or a world where then you interact with that guy. And he's got this whole history of, oh yeah, when I first got here and it was just a campfire and we had to, and so this AI is building all this content <laughs> essentially for a game or a virtual world. And it's not just let them loose and see what they do. It's from creating the world proper with AI to every little aspect of it. And so the next step for them is obviously they're gonna do 3D and they're gonna do a few more things and they're, I think they're reaching out to the same folks at Stanford as well as the researchers here. But again, the promise of what AI and machine learning can do is huge. And yes, there's always horror stories <laughs> about what it could do if it approaches the singularity, as they call it, and things like that. But <laughs> See, I think this whole singularity thing, I think, is a red herring. To be honest with you, I think these technologies are going to be incredibly influential in our lives long before that concept is reached. Mm -hmm. And in some sense, I'm blown away by the earliest forms of artificial general intelligence. And it hasn't even been optimized yet. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't have the breakthroughs yet. And to me, this will all play out in virtual worlds, mm -hmm. right? It's a great place for it because, again, it's content generation. Mm -hmm. It's a tool to make more stuff at the end of the day, whether it's coming up with a chemistry equation and showing a proof or whether it's creating a world or whether right. it's making people talk to each other <laughs> or pretending to be Drake. Uh, <laughs> I mean. So recently mm -hmm. we've heard Jeffrey Hinton, one of the groundbreakers in artificial intelligence, mm -hmm talking about the idea that this stuff can get smarter than people is not that far off. Mm. You've heard the warnings from many of the individuals in OpenAI, mm -hmm. which is the company behind yeah. ChatGPT, including its CEO, mm -hmm. that basically warn of the challenges associated with this and how they are actively have to, for lack of a better way of putting it, dumb down the AI <laughs> before it's released to the public because mm -hmm. they're worried of some of the damage sure. it can actually do. Maybe the metaverse is the place for this stuff to develop and flourish where it's not touching the physical world and let it grow and you can interact with the currencies and you can intermingle all sure. of this stuff because there are unintended consequences to everything you do. We know some of the intended consequences of artificial intelligence, but it's that thing you're not thinking about that will creep up and sure. just knock you down. 
when Microsoft first put out an AI chatbot, I think it was called Tay, yeah, and started oh training in it and became racist, right? Not what, just racist. Oh, it was, yeah. It, it, was, was, it was all, all of the yeah. yeah. <laughs> It was racist. It was homophobic. It yeah. was, oh my goodness, sexist. It was everything. But I think what it boils down to, again, is it's, it's just like with people, right? The inputs you give it, the training you give it, you know, the whole nature versus nurture and all this stuff. Like for AI, you're feeding it information. If you put this AI into a virtual world, it is going to end up being a product of its virtual society, just like people are. And to that end, it is very much like a person because it is a, taking all this information in and some rules that have been set up by society or by the programmer and who programmed it and how they programmed it and what they designed it for. Now, if we put AI in charge of nuclear weapons, then we deserve what happens, right? Just like in Terminator, right? But what it can do and what we allow it to do, those are the questions, right? Training in virtual worlds, whether they're 3D with avatars or this little Smallville with 2D guys, that's essential for us to see how they grow and to make them better and to remove bias and to remove other elements that get put in as part of the programming, right? Whether it's the initial programming, whether it's the training and data, or whether it's stuff that comes in after the fact that affects them, the learning module. So if we pull back and think about it in the environment and in the world in which we live in today, the real world, right? And you look at cryptocurrencies, do you believe that they will be fully integrated in any time in the near future? I'm going to say my personal opinion here, right? <laughs> sure. So I, I don't think it's a matter. We should not be focusing on the cryptocurrency part of this technology. I think we should be focusing on the technology beyond the cryptocurrencies, which so is the blockchain, blockchain technology. Right. Sure. Uh, so the blockchain technology can offer much more than just digital payments. So digital payments, in a sense, are just one application of blockchain systems. And the main idea, the main advantage of all these blockchain-based systems is that, as I said before, they take away the idea that you rely on a specific trusted third party. And since we have James here, let me give you one of the most prominent applications of blockchain today beyond payments. That is the generation of good randomness. And let me explain why this is very, very important in the gaming industry and in metaverse and all these games that try to offer some version of virtual reality. So it is uh, in many, many parts of these games, the users, the gamers, need to be sure that what happens in the next phase of the game is actually random, done in a random way, and not in a way that the company that controls the game can alter the sequence of the game in order to gain more money at the end of the day. So many of these very large gaming industries, they care to prove to their users that they use good randomness, that for in a verifiable way, in a truthful way, they do randomly decide what's the next phase, what's the next thing that will happen in the game. So now where do you take this randomness from? Blockchain systems are an excellent resource of randomness. Again, why? Because they're not controlled from a single entity, but they pull together randomness from thousands or millions, depending on what blockchain systems you're looking at, of people around the world in a way that it's very, very hard to bias that randomness. And again, this is just one application. And uh, believe me, it is one of the applications that people are using blockchain today a lot or are looking into blockchain a lot. So that said, cryptocurrencies are one part of these blockchain systems. And if you ask me, yeah, I do think that some of these cryptocurrencies will become more mainstream. But 
but I don't think that this is the main contribution of blockchain in Web3. So I think that blockchain can do much more things, many more things than just allowing for these mm -hmm. cryptocurrencies for these digital payments. I get the blockchain portion of this. Let me pose the question a little bit. Just don't ask me to give like uh, investment, uh, <laughs> investment <laughs> advice. advice. No, 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 no. Let me, let, me, let, me pose, <laughs> let me pose the question a little, a little bit differently. Mm. Right now in our country, we are spending trillions of dollars a year and we're driving large amounts of debt. And as we continue to have more spending beyond the revenues that we are taking in and we go into more and more debt, at some point in time, you're gonna see a dramatic downward pressure on the value of the dollar. Now, in terms of having a global economy large enough in order to become the global currency, you basically got the RMB and you got the dollar, right? Maybe it could be the euro, mm -hmm. but it doesn't leave you a lot of alternatives as you devalue the dollar, right? Mm -hmm. So at some point, you start getting driven towards a digital-based currency or a cryptocurrency as an alternative. All you need is one or two catastrophic market events with our currency in order to drive people to these. So I don't believe that it is totally unrealistic to think that at some point in time, people will, will want to engage more with these digital-based currencies. And we actually, uh, sorry, James, uh, we actually saw that happening like a few years ago when mm -hmm. like the banks collapsed in Cyprus, for example. We saw that the prices of cryptocurrencies went up. We do observe that happening in the world. Right. I mean, I'm not an economist, but there is certainly a relation on that. I think the biggest thing that becomes a part of that is like, so you mentioned the dollar, right? And a lot of our economy, even our debt, right, is based on this idea that we are a, kind of a world currency but all currency, to some degree, has a historical value to it based on usually some kind of physical resource. So in the, in the past, it used to be gold, right? We used, right? To, be we used gold. to be gold. It's really no longer. Most people may not even realize it, but it's, you know, we're just printing money. But, um, right. And it's the full faith and credit of yep. the United States government is what right. it's based on. It's and trust. And if that trust is ever broken you will see the currency collapse, and there's no real global alternative outside of the cryptocurrency. So we'd have to work together as governments around the world on a currency we all accept within that parameter, so that if we said, you know what, we transfer from the dollar to Bitcoin or Doggy coin or whatever the, you know, Doji coin or whatever Doge the latest coin. one is, right? <laughs> or the, the dollar coin or, the, you know, I, I know they were playing around with some of these, right? It's, it's still based on, you know, if the U.S. has trillions of dollars worth of Bitcoin, there's still going to be some of that inherent instability behind it if all of a sudden the U.S. is not good for it. And that's why some people were really skeptical about cryptocurrencies in general or this idea of digital currency is because is there something behind it except what we say? It's the same thing with stocks, right? The stock market is one of those things where, or, you know, the banks, you know, failing because people start to lose faith and they're like, how do we get any value out of it? And if there's no value originally in it, how does that translate in the long run if we do lose faith in the system? I guess what I'm kind of driving to, and as we start to wrap up here, mm -hmm. you start to bring all of this together. So we talk about the metaverse as a construct. We talk about cryptocurrency and the like as a construct. And we talk about how these entities can actually connect. Mm -hmm. 
the connection with the physical world. I remember Pokemon. I remember when my kids got into it, mm-hmm. they were into it big time. And so they were into it so much. I said, OK, let me figure out what's going on with this thing. You'd have a camera from your phone yep. would overlay over the physical world and the yep. environment mm-hmm. which you were in. Yep. Yep. Pokemon and go. you'd see a little Pokemon over yep. it in the corner and you can walk over to it and get yep. it. You were in the physical world, but you were also in the virtual environment also. Mm-hmm. Mixed reality. Exactly. Is that a possibility? Is it sure. a possibility that these worlds could indeed collide? You know, I got cryptocurrency yep. and I have real currency. You, oh, yeah. you get what I'm yeah, saying? Absolutely. I have, you know, I exist in the virtual world and I exist in the physical world, right? Yep. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, so uh, as you're saying, this is already happening. Uh, I, I'm not sure if this is part of Web 2 or Web 3 now, <laughs> but it is certainly happening. I do have both cryptocurrencies and real currencies. Yep. And wrapping back to the you know the beginning of this discussion, right, are we going to move completely into a metaverse reality? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's not clear, right? So I think we'll probably end up having for many more years a mixed reality of yep. people trying to find a harmony between the, the virtual world and the real world and again in one way or another our role as universities and researchers is uh, to try to make this balance as fair as possible and as uh, secure try as to possible. make sense we yeah. have to try to make sense in all of this yeah absolutely. we also have to make it easier for folks blockchain and cryptocurrencies at the end of the day are not the easiest things for people to understand yeah. so i know amazon is working on a digital marketplace for nfts you know non-fungible tokens but they're abstracting it so it's it's as easy mm-hmm. as buying on the Amazon website. And I think for us to go to that route where we can buy physical stuff, we can buy virtual stuff, we can combine them, we have to have that same kind of thing. Because again, at the end of the day, if you can keep it simple, people will adopt the technology. You know, and as, as Bitcoin became more popular, you could use it to buy a Tesla. I know somebody bought pizza with it way back in the day and regret it now because it's worth a lot because more Because they than could pizza. have bought a Tesla now. Yes, exactly. They <laughs> could have bought the Tesla. For the pe- pizza, they could have had a Tesla. Um, Amazing. But to get to this idea of what really the idealists want Web 3.0 or the metaverse to be requires us to really put in regulation, work, procedures, technology like blockchain or or similar, we have to agree as both either a country or a society as a world, much like we did with the internet, we have to say, look, there are some rules, there are some things that have to happen, because right now nobody in a capitalist society no company is going to want to share their version of the metaverse with everybody else because, as you said, if I spend $10 on Nike sneakers in this virtual world, that $10 purchase can't translate to Nike shoes in every other game because of so many technical problems, right? Right. So what is that $10 Nike shoe worth? Well, it's worth $10 worth of skins in Fortnite. Mm -hmm. But in order to use it in Call of Duty, so many technical things would have to happen for it to even have an equivalency. So this idea, this idealistic view that the currency or the items or things that you share within a virtual world like the metaverse should be requires us to get on board in so many different ways and pass some technological hurdles and maybe AI and machine learning can help us on that because maybe they can help us make translations between different worlds. 
But there has to be, much like we have the back end of the internet, you know, we all rely on HTTPS and we all rely on these different protocols and we all rely on these different things that make it fair, not necessarily equitable at all times, but make it at least fair and things will work together. We know if we do this, it will work. That has to be done for the metaverse. And people are, are on that. It's just, it's a lot more slow going, I think, than when the internet took off. Yeah, and I think, James, and what you're saying, it's it's really, really important to bring together people from different disciplines. Yes. And so far, it has been a game that has been played too much on the side of <laughs> computer scientists and engineers. Yep. But now it's becoming apparent that no matter what technology we're building, it cannot get out there without regulation, without people from the policy side, without mm-hmm. economists, without psychologists to understand and how this impacts people. So we really need to close the gap here. So in conclusion, what does the future look like, in your opinion, in both of these contexts? I'm not talking 10 years out. Sure. You know, even five. I'm saying over the next three years or so. What happens in the context of what both of you all do? What do you think happens? Look, I get the caveats that it's almost impossible to predict the future. Here's the thing. If you predict it and it's right, I will refer back to this <laughs> recording well, let me right? as positive proof of the power of Mason Falcony. All right. So have at it. So with the idea of the metaverse, I'll handle that side for to start with. So a lot of the metaverse is built around virtual worlds. And right now, the technology like the meta, and you mentioned Mark Zuckerberg, is betting on this idea of VR goggles and all these ways that we can enter the world and become immersed in part of it, and then we can shape it, is not catching on. That's why Business Insider said the metaverse is dead, right? It's because that technology isn't making it. But I think there's an opportunity over the next few years to start striving for setting up parts of the network that we need to make this work to not just be a dominated Amazon marketplace, which, you know, they took over, right? And eBay controls this part of the the internet. There needs to be a push for how do we make this a shareable marketplace, a shareable world. And I think that is going to start being where we see the most growth. I don't think we're necessarily going to see Fortnite become the place where everybody goes, you know, and transform it. And I don't think, unfortunately, you know, Meta from Facebook is going to be the big thing that Mark Zuckerberg wants it to be. I think we'll see some iterations on those and everybody's going to do their own little corner of the metaverse, but it's still a little ways away before they start to connect to each other. We make those valuable connections that will help us both from a society standpoint as well as obviously from their point maybe making money yeah so i think we're still a little ways away i think vr is taking a a small step back and and we'll see this still valued about but i think we're going to hopefully concentrate on the technologies around it more so well you all remember the newton Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's what happened with the newton right many of the technologies that happened in newton wound up in the iPhone, right? And so when the Newton was developed, it was a huge flop, right? I remember Bart Simpson was cracking jokes on it, right? (laughs) It's like the Google Glass. The Google Glass was a great idea. It's this augmented reality giving you information. I could look at somebody and see their name and get information. It just wasn't done well. That would have right. been really helpful for but me. I'm not bad with names. Same, you know? same here. I tell my class all the time, I'm never going to remember your name. But if I had that on my phone, we already have that power on the phone. Right. Now it's just, how do we get it out of the phone and in front of you and everyday use and make it useful? That's why phones have taken off is because their user experience is perfect for most people. No, I get it. So, 
as we end, Fautini, you tell me. Yeah, I mean, just to, to bring up the blockchain mm. aspect yes. here on the near future, I don't think, again, so much is going to change on the end user experience. I don't think we're all gonna, going to be transacting in cryptocurrencies <laughs> in three years. But again, I do see aspects of the blockchain technology being more integrated. So the example that I brought up before with gaming industry and how they're using mm -hmm. randomness, I think that this is something that in three years, it might start becoming mainstream. So we might not start trusting companies that they claim they yeah. generate their own randomness. If, if, uh, if there's money for it, the companies will go for it. And that's the key, generating exactly. that value. Exactly. So I think that we will be seeing more applications of the blockchain space, not necessarily just digital payments, but mm -hmm. more. Part of it will go hand in hand with the metaverse, you know, like reality, as it can help in some aspects of it. But blockchain is also a very different technology that can have complete, you know, even if metaverse dies, blockchain might not die or the, exactly. the other way around. <laughs> mm, no, I hear you. Yeah, we're never going to get rid of virtual worlds and the virtual right. environments, but the overall view of what the metaverse is probably will change to some degree. We also talked about AI and machine learning. I think in the next few years we'll see some scary developments, but I don't think they're going to be scary in the way that people talking about the singularity or or that kind of stuff right. is going no, to I be. No, think, I think we're headed for disaster and some other things. It won't be the singularity, but I think criminal enterprise is going to have a field oh, day sure. with Great. artificial intelligence. You're going to spoof phones. You're going to mm -hmm. spoof people. And when you couple that with cyber security issues and it's lax gonna, cyber security, it us. is going to, we got a rough couple of years before we figure out all of this. It's like COVID though, right? Like COVID forces to do things we were right. not comfortable with. Right. The rise of AI is going to force us to look at things we have not wanted to look at for a long time mm -hmm. and figure out how to bend to this new technology and how to use this to te new technology. Because at the end of the day, AI and machine learning, I mentioned it earlier, in my mind, it's just content generation. Right. It's just like a computer or a painting brush. You know, when you were doing cave paintings, you, you had certain tools. When you started to do paintings, you had different tools. When you started to make digital painting, you had different tools. Now we have more tools. How do we use that responsibly? And I think the great thing is, and I've seen it here both you know, with what we do and what uh, CS is doing and all across our campus is we've got people that are thinking about these problems and we got people that are developing solutions now. So that at least makes me hopeful. <laughs> oh, outstanding, outstanding. Well, look, this has really, really been a fascinating discussion. And the one thing I can say mm. for sure is that we're going to be hearing more on both of these topics. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I'd like to thank my guests, Faltini Baldmitzi, Assistant Professor in Mason's Computer Science Department, and James Casey, an Associate Professor in Mason's Computer Game Design Program and the Associate Director of the Virginia Serious Games Institute. I am Mason President Gregory Washington saying until next time, stay safe, Mason Nation. If you like what you heard on this podcast, go to podcast.gmu.edu for more of Gregory Washington's conversations with the thought leaders, experts, and educators who take on the grand challenges facing our students, graduates, and higher education. That's podcast.gmu.edu.